Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Not only is a faithful witness, but he's the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? It means he's the first to be raised from the dead, never to die again. He wasn't the first to be raised from the dead. We have many people in the Bible raised from the dead, but they all died again. This is the first one ever to be raised from the dead. And then one that we wonder about today. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Do you think Hitler realized that? Well, how come it says he's the ruler of the kings of the earth? What's the deal happening here? In the Bible, when Christ followers are referred to as priests, we are simply tasked to point others to the Lord. Jesus is the first witness. He led by example. When Christ comes again, everyone will know who he is, and those who reject him will mourn and regret their unbelief. As we'll see today, this will be a fulfillment of prophecy as written in Zechariah. Pastor Mark will guide us through the rich and layered book of Revelation, and we will see the truth of who God is, His power and wisdom. Knowing that, we will receive comfort and encouragement to bolster our faith and assure us that we're on the right path knowing that Messiah is King. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 5, for our continuing study entitled, A Promised Blessing. Those of you who have been coming here any period of time at all know that I am perfect. That woke you up. <laughs> no. The Bible says something very interesting to us. The Bible says this. Paul says it. We see through a glass darkly. You see, there's some things in here. I'll get to parts of the Bible. Some of these areas in here. And I'm going to have to say to you, here's what I think it means, but I, I really don't know what it means. There may be other parts I'll get to, and I'll have to say this to you. I don't have a clue what it means. Is that embarrassing? No, it's not embarrassing. You see, if you pretend to be a person that knows it all, already we discount you. Because that's not possible. It is impossible. There are scholars that study these books their entire lives. And as you know, and you may be in this group tonight, I know there's some, you're going to have differing views as we go through. That's okay. And here's what I wrote. Many wonderful Christians differ in their views about sections of this book. They will be in heaven with us, not because of their right or wrong views on this book, but because they've accepted Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior and are following Him in their daily walk. So, don't get bent out of shape. Don't let what God wants to do... You know, when the traffic drives by tonight, they must think we're announcing the lotto numbers or something. <laughs> let them think it, man. Come on in, right? Come on down. That's what we're going to say to them. Don't get upset as we go through the thing. Just relax. Be teachable. Nobody has it all together. But I obviously am going to teach what I believe is there. When we come to those parts, and I don't know, I'll just tell you. Maybe you'll have a different opinion, then that's fine. The focus is on Jesus and what He does. 
So don't be, let's enjoy this book as we go through it. Don't, don't get depressed and go, oh man, you know, we're going to be in heaven together. We're just going to go a little sooner and they're coming with us. They just don't know it and things like that. So <laughs> whatever. No, no, there's lots of wonderful people out there. Don't be like this reporter. There was a car involved in a terrible accident. As one might expect, a crowd immediately gathered. In that crowd was a newspaper reporter pushing and shoving and struggling to get near the car because he wanted the exclusive story. He was frustrated, but being a clever person, he started shouting loudly, Let me through! Let me through! I'm the son of the victim! The crowd made way for him. Lying in front of the car that had the accident was a donkey. <laughs> Think about it. Think about it. I'm a son of the victim. All right. I won't say any more than that. There's a three-letter word, but we'll go right on now. <laughs> what are we going to study when we go through the book of Revelation? Here's some of the topics. The rapture of the church. The judgment of tribulation for seven years. We're going to see a new rule, a new world ruler, new economic system. We're going to see who the 144,000 are. A little clue. They are not Jehovah's Witness. We're also going to see what role they actually play. We're going to see why the new temple is being built or going to be built in Jerusalem. We're going to see the emergence and ultimate destruction of Babylon. We're going to see the final battle, the Battle of Armageddon. And guess who's going to be there? If you don't know, you're going to be excited. We're going to see the second coming of Jesus. We're going to see what the thousand-year millennium what God says about heaven and the new world. I put behind all of that, wow, it's going to be exciting. Verse 4. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before the throne. Now the number seven, we're going to see in, in Revelation 54 times. So get ready. The, the number seven means this, completeness and fullness. It does not mean perfection. So be careful. Because when you see seven with seven, Satan with seven heads, you kind of call him perfect, you have to be careful. So it means completeness and fullness. It means the number of totality. When Jesus, when God finished creating the earth, he, seven days was equal to one week. Seven colors in the rainbow. When we sit down at a piano, there are seven notes on a scale. So it represents completeness. So what are the seven churches, which we'll have more to speak about in chapters 2 and 3, what do they have to do with? Well, these are selected churches that were suffering churches. They were actually in Asia Minor. So these seven churches, there's many more churches, obviously, in John's day, but these represent completeness. They represent the churches then, and they represent the whole church age, which we're going to be talking about. Now, then he goes on, notice in that verse 4, he gives us this wonderful greeting about the Godhead. He says, grace and peace to you. That is the order that always takes place in our lives. First, we receive by faith God's wonderful grace. No one deserves to be a Christian. Then God fills us with His peace. Do you know that's what the world is looking for tonight? And that's why I encourage you to get an extra tape of this and give it to someone at work who isn't a Christian. Let them begin listening to the book of Revelation as we go through it. People are looking for peace, but there is no peace tonight outside of the... Prince of Peace, who is Jesus Christ. Now, as you go through this book, you'll understand there is absolutely, and let me make this very clear, there is absolutely no reason to be afraid of the future. Knowing God's program for the future gives us total peace. 
When you go home and lay your bed, your head down tonight on the pillow, just relax. God's in control. We are offered God's grace and peace as we study this book. Now in verse 4 through 6, John unveils Jesus as deity. And he presents him as part of the Trinity, the Godhead. Notice, God the Father, from him who is and who was and who is to come. So this is the eternal presence of God. It's not limited by time, as we told you already. He's always be present. He's always been present. Always will be there in the future. This is the eternal God. Then there's a strange one. The seven spirits before his throne. And I won't ask you to turn to it, but right behind that verse, write Isaiah 11.2. This is the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11.2, and I'll read it to you tonight. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord, one, will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom, two. And the Spirit of understanding, three. The Spirit of counsel, four. Of power, five. Spirit of knowledge, six. And the Spirit of fear, seven, of the Lord. So seven here, the seven spirits, doesn't mean there's seven Holy Spirit. It refers to the completeness or the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now why? Normally we do God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Why do we do here God the Father, God the Spirit, and then God the Son? Well, most commentators believe the reason is because this whole focus of this book is about who? Jesus. So it leaves Jesus last and explains it. Verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So this is the Jesus Christ, and we see here in this, in these next couple verses, two sets of threes. You want to take notes on them? The first one is this. Jesus Christ was a faithful witness. Now that word witness is a very familiar term. If you read the book of Acts, it's the word martyr. So what does it mean to be a faithful witness? Well, what was Jesus, one of the main roles of Jesus? He was to come to this earth to give us a picture of who? God. So he's a faithful witness of who? God the Father. Because we have no idea what God looks like. God doesn't come down to this earth. He sent his Son to be a representative of him. And one day, one of the disciples said, Man, show us God and, and we'll be happy. And Jesus said, Hello. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he came to be a faithful witness of who God was. Now, if you follow the life of Jesus through, no way you think God's up there tonight like this. Not going to be here next week, eh? Going to burn you, man. I'm going to give you a hard time. Is that God? That's not God. It's not the way Jesus was. Now, Jesus was that way at religious people. But he wasn't that way at sinners. In fact, the religious people hated the way he looked at sinners. See, so Jesus reveals to us the character of God. So he's a faithful witness in that. What's the other thing that Jesus came to do? He came to be a martyr, a faithful martyr. Says for the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross. So he was a martyr. He died on the cross. He was a faithful witness. He died for our sins and for yours. And that brings us to the second thing. Not only is a faithful witness, but he's the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? It means he's the first to be raised from the dead, never to die again. He wasn't the first to be raised from the dead. We have many people in the Bible raised from the dead, but they all died again. This is the first one ever to be raised from the dead. And then one that we wonder about today. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Do you think Hitler realized that? 
Well, how come it says he's the ruler of the kings of the earth? What's the deal happening here? Well, he has that right. He just has not exercised his option yet. When will he? At the second coming. See, at the second coming, every person will realize he's the king of all the earth. Verse 5 is the next three. These apply to us. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve as God and Father. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So these are three things that Jesus did on the cross for all people. Notice, notice, and it's important in those verses that you circle the word us. Because it's you. It's personal. Not for unbelievers. This is for us tonight that are believers. What has He done to us? Number one, He loved us. You know, the Bible says while we were still sinners... Christ loved us. Aren't you glad for that? Before we knew Him, Christ loved us. You see, God loved us. And you'll hear Satan say to you, God doesn't love you. you. You've done too much wrong. You can't come to be a Christian. There's no way you can be a Christian. Isn't it good to say to people, doesn't matter whether you're young or old, doesn't matter what you've done, where your background is, if you're innocent or whatever, man, God loves you. That's awesome. Not only does He love us, but the second thing says He freed us. What does that mean? Well, the Bible says sin is bondage. If you're not a Christian, you might think you're free, but you're not. You're in bondage. By the way, if you're a, we're a Christian, but you've backslidden, you're not free, you're in bondage. You need to rededicate your life as you go through this book. Don't be miserable. He freed us from the penalty of sin. Remember, Christianity is done It's freedom. And last, He made us a kingdom of priests. We're all priests. We have the right to enter God's presence. Now in the Old Testament, priests explained the meaning of the sacrifices and brought their job was to bring people near to God. That's my role as a priest today. Now don't leave here and go around like, I'm priest, bomber, you're priest, whatever your name is. It's a term that challenges us and it says this. Remember, what kind of term is this? This is not a New Testament term. This is what kind of a term? It's an Old Testament term, basically. And it means I have access to who? God. Now, how come I have access to God? Because of Jesus Christ, who's at the right hand of the Father. So it means that I have access to God, and I can go to Him directly. I don't have to go through a human priest. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. One day we'll get to that book. Maybe before He comes, we'll see. Now, what does this mean today? It means this is the work of me. I can go to people who are lost in their sin and darkness and say to them, You know what? You can be right with God. You can approach God directly. That's a wonderful privilege I have. Now, John couldn't help it. It was so wonderful when he reviewed these things. He gives us a little doxology at the end. So he writes this. Amen, by the way. A modern translation of amen is this. Right on. It's right on. This is what John wrote. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen, right on. Let's say it together. Ready? To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen, right on. That's it, man. He was excited about it. He said, man, this is awesome. This is the God who changed me. Verse 7. Now, verse 7 is really the primary purpose of this book. So you can just write it outside it. See, one of the main primary purposes of the book is not only Jesus, but His second coming. That's what it's all about. And this is one of the first seven references, (laughs) funny term, of Revelation to the return of Christ. It says in verse 7, Look, He is coming with the clouds. And every eye. How many is every eye? All. You guys are learning. Every eye will see him. 
even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth were mourned because of him. So shall it be. Amen or right on. The second coming of Christ will be visible to who? The entire world, including unbelievers. Now this is in contrast to his first coming, which is in Bethlehem, which the shepherds heard about, a few. And contrast with the rapture, which we believe will totally be secret. Now does this mean he's coming with the clouds? Then if it's a clear day in the weather forecast, you can go, well, Jesus isn't coming back today. Number one, you don't want to trust the weather, guys. No, it's figuratively. Daniel 7.13 said this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led in His presence. There's two possibilities here. Number one, it could be like in the Old Testament again, the Old Testament again, we saw many times the Shekinah glory of God. It was a cloud. It was awesome. Or many other people believe, as the book of Romans, I think it is, might be Hebrews, I can't remember offhand, says that these clouds are going to be actually millions of believers, faces of millions of believers who are going to be coming with Jesus at his second coming. Now notice it says, even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn. The Jews, when he comes back, will see whom they pierced. Now in the Old Testament, because of time that I just write these two verses down, and I'll read them to you, you can go look them up. Zechariah 12.10 and Zechariah 13.6. Before Jesus was born, look what the Old Testament predicted. And I will pour out, Zechariah 12.10, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. That's before Jesus was born. Zechariah 13.6, listen to this. If someone asked him, what are those wounds on your body? He will answer, the wounds I was given, these wounds I was given at the house of my friends. The Jews will mourn on that day, his second coming over the blindness of in them individually and the nation. Now what is this, all the peoples of the earth? This is everybody else. They will mourn because... Here's the key to this verse. When Jesus Christ came the first time, He came to deal with sin. He made a way for sin to be removed from our lives. He came as Savior. When He comes the second time, He's coming as judge. He's going to deal with sin. And so the second coming, as you see here, all the peoples of the earth will mourn because then it is too Late. It is too late to get right with God when He comes in His judgment. And it's too late for you to wait on God and His grace until your deathbed because you may not know when that day comes. So that's again why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't play with it because it will be too late. Verse 8. I am the Alpha and Omega says the Lord, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. This is the three characteristics of God that we know so well. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That is, God is all-knowing. 
What does that mean tonight? Well, as you know, the Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. It means that everything starts with God and everything ends with God. It means this. There is nothing that God does not know. The whole alphabet is His. He knows it all. He knows every word there is. He knows every principle. It all starts. There is nothing new to God. Any new, wonderful design or something that somebody thinks up, God already knows it. There is nothing new. He's all-knowing. Who is and who was and who is to come? That means God is omnipresent. What does that mean? It means He's everywhere and fully present at the same time. Wherever I go, God is already there. I cannot go away from His presence. I cannot go away from His love. God is always with us. The third is, the last part of that verse 8 says, the Almighty. That represents that God is all-powerful, omnipotent. He's fully in charge. That means nothing is impossible to the all-powerful God. Now what does that mean? When you read that, for me it gives great comfort to know that His existence, His wisdom and power are going to handle everything. Some of you aren't old enough to be this yet, but some of you are. Some of you are parents and grandparents. What do those three things that God is all-knowing, God is all-present, God is all-powerful mean to me? It means this. If I die before Jesus returns, my wife, and my children and our grandchildren are left here, I have great comfort in my life because the Alpha and Omega, the all-knowing God, will be there to give them guidance like He gave me guidance. If I die before the rapture, my grandkids and children are here, they have the God who is and was and who is to come to personally be with them in every circumstance of life. Will they have hard things? Oh, yeah. But God's going to be there. Lastly, they have the Almighty. You know, as a parent, that's wonderfully comforting. To know that when you and I leave, whatever that is, God's here. The Alpha. The Omega. The one that breathed breath into Adam. And the one where it will all culminate when we finish that book. He's there. Now, someone said the future has two handles. The handle of anxiety and the handle of faith. Which handle do you have tonight? The handle of anxiety or the handle of faith? Relax. God is bigger than any problem you have tonight. He's in control. As I was riding down the street the other day, I saw a rider truck and it had a great slogan. It said on the side, together we're going places. That's what we're going to do as we go through the book of Revelation. We're going to go to heaven together. Right on! <laughs> Can we say it? You got it. In today's message from the beginning of Revelation, we heard that John was writing to some suffering churches and opened with a wonderful greeting that encourages them to remember the power of the Lord. 
Jesus was named as the faithful witness and the one who's made us to be a kingdom and priests to God. In Zechariah, we saw prophecy that also spoke of how the people of the earth will mourn for him. Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series the next time you join us. For those of you that like to have CD archives of Bible teachings, we'd like to offer you a CD of Pastor Mark's message from today. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option from the main menu. The cost for each CD is $5. This is only to cover the materials and shipping it takes for you to receive your CD. Again, to place an order for a CD, simply log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option. Now, here's Josh with today's message number and title. Thanks. The message number from today's broadcast is 3901. The title of this message is A Promised Blessing. Again, today's message number for ordering purposes is 3901. The title of this message is A Promised Blessing. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time here on Lessons for Living as we continue our look at the book of Revelation, beginning in chapter 1, where we see why John wrote the book. It confirms what Scripture says about people who want to live a godly life being persecuted for their faith. Pastor Mark will explain in more detail what some of the symbols, like the golden lampstands and the seven stars, are referring to. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time, as Pastor Mark will continue sharing with us from the book of Revelation. That's next time on Lessons for Living. 